Inflation, student debt, recession, mortgage rates. Your employees have a lot on their minds. Offer them financial well-being support from Vanguard Well on Your Way at institutional.vanguard.com. All investing is subject to risk. Advice provided by Vanguard Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. The Secret Library Podcast is brought to you in part by our kick-ass Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join the group and get bonus audio content from me every month, as well at certain levels, for the chance to contribute questions for a Q&A audio, you can check it out at patreon.com slash secret library. This is episode three of the Secret Library podcast. My guest this week is the amazing Chip Cheek, author of the novel Cape May. Those of you who've been listening to the show for a while will remember Chip from our previous very, very long first season. And one of the things that you'll remember is that he had an incredible first draft story, which is that he wasn't sure what time period he wanted to set his novel in. So he went through and for each chapter, he wrote it in a completely different time period, which I thought was one of the coolest and most fun first draft stories I had heard. All of you agreed with me. I got a ton of feedback about how much you enjoyed hearing the Chip episode. And I knew when we were going to talk about revision that I was dying to go back and talk to him again and learn how he took this first draft that was set in as many time periods as there were chapters and went back to revise it again. One of the other noteworthy things about his first draft was he said it was such an incredibly joyful experience. And he had worked on several novels before this that felt like a drudge. They felt really like a grind to get through. But something about really letting this book happen in such a free uninhibited way was one of the happiest periods of writing that he had had. Um, You can go back and listen to the first episode to hear more about this, but I wanted us all to be on the same page when we started this interview and this conversation where we dive back in where we left off with Chip, which is the end of his first draft. And now we're going to look forward at how he revised this amazing novel and had Cape May at the end. So here we go with Chip Cheek. Hey, Chip, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me back. Yes, you were, your book was a big success with the readers. Everybody tells me how much they love it. And everyone is fascinated by the process you went through writing the first draft with each chapter or section in a different era, figuring Mm -hmm, out which era the book was meant to be in. So I was like, oh, if we're talking about revision, I got to talk to Chip again. So absolutely. Yeah, you were starting to say something about revision when I said, "My goodness, we must start recording." So right. I want to, I want to bring you back to that thought if it's still there. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, well, I was just going to say that, like, you know, for me, revision is is not necessarily separate from writing. I honestly don't even think of it as its own category. Re- revision is writing. The process of writing is revision. It's almost entirely revision. You know, I don't really think of think of it in terms of you write a draft and then you revise the draft and then it's over. Um, typically, you know, it's, it's writing, rewriting, 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 and it's 90% of the time is what you're doing is rewriting the thing. Um, and, uh, figuring out, you know, problems. It's like a, this huge problem you have to solve. Um, so, I mean, that, that's just what I was going to say, uh, that just as a, you know, as a, as a general thing, uh, for, for my process, uh, this book though was a little bit different in that I, you know, you know, as I, we'd mentioned last time we talked, you know, I wrote this 
book in a fever and did this first draft in in two months um, and didn't look back. And, and as I was writing, I wasn't really I wasn't looking back. I was just, you know, just kind of in the moment with the story until I, I arrived at the end. Um, so with this one, I did kind of, you know, I had a first draft and then and it was a complete train wreck, but it was a train wreck I loved. And I said, OK, OK, what, what do I do with this now? Um, so with this, it was a little bit different, but you know, that was two months, um, of writing. And then for the next year and a half, two years, um, it was, it was revising, but that's what I think of as writing. So what did you have in place at the end of those two months? And, and mm -hmm. can you say more about why it was a train wreck maybe? Well, it was a train wreck just in the sense that, you know, I, like I said, I, I didn't, you know, I was playing with time periods. Like it started in the twenties. It started in the first person. Um, by the time I was done with the draft, it was in the some time like the 50s, maybe some indeterminate time. And it was in the third person, you know, and in the middle of all of that, I was playing with all these different time periods as I was going. And I wasn't really focused much on the sentence level stuff, um, which which is which is a kind of a departure for me. I've always been you know, very careful with my sentences. But with this first draft, I I wasn't really polishing the sentences uh, as, as I went, which is which is, you know, in, in other words, I was doing it the right way. Like you shouldn't be worried about the sentence level stuff when you're doing the first draft. Um, and I, th I think maybe it took years for me to finally get that through my head. Um, but it was a train wreck in the sense of not all the sentences were pretty. It was like a different points of view. It was, you know, all this stuff. Um, but what's, what's kind of amazing though, is that that first draft though did have all the, the big moves of the plot uh, and the characters were all there in that first draft. What happens in the first draft in terms of the story um, is very much what is there in the final draft of the book. Um, um, and that was just, I don't know if that's just blind luck or, or what. Maybe because you weren't holding so tightly to the other aspects of it, that one stuck. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's probably true. Um, I was just really, I was in the moment focused on the story, focused on what's going to happen with these characters and, and, and the words weren't there. It was like I was seeing, you know, through the words. Um, I was just, I felt so in the story. Um, and, um, and I think that's part of why, you know, like in, in, when I was revising the book, um, it was, you know, that's, I wanted to preserve that, that feeling, that, that immediacy and, um, and that, that thrill that I felt when I was writing the first draft. I think that's one of the hardest things about revision is how do you preserve the kind of feeling and atmosphere yeah. of this, you know, you want people to feel like you sat down and wrote the thing from start to finish, which I don't think right. anyone has ever done, but right that there's this feeling of freshness and immediacy and yet it's been worked over dozens mm -hmm. of times. So how do you yeah. hold those two things, uh, you know, those two concepts together as you're working? Yeah. Um, I, you know, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I, um, I had, uh, there, as I was writing the first draft, there was, um, so I, I wrote the first draft during, um, a, the summer after my wife and I got married. Um, it was a summer where we were um, going to the beach pretty much every weekend. We were living in Boston at the time, uh, in, in Somerville, just outside of Boston, and we were going to the beach every weekend. And it was a really thrilling summer just in our lives. Like we were newly married, we had our new apartment, um, and there was music that I was listening to as I was writing that first draft. You know, there was certain songs that were in my head. Um, there was a TV show we were binge watching at the time. Um, I, I'm not embarrassed to say what it was. It was what the, was it? Uh, it was the awesome television show, Pretty Little Liars. Oh um, my God, amazing. The, the first season of 
which is absolute gold. And we were watching the first season or two of that as I was writing this book. Um, and um, I was also reading for the first time Donna Tartt's The Secret History. Oh, um, so good. Yeah, which, which blew my mind. And The Secret History, there's something of that that got into this book. And so, you know, I think in the couple of years that followed, as I was revising it, all I had to do is close my eyes, hear the music, you know, listen. And it's music that has nothing to do with the 50s, right? I mean, one of the songs was this, uh, oh, gosh, it was a song, a song by Young Galaxy. And I can't remember the name of the song. Gosh, um, Pretty Boy by Young Galaxy. Um, mm -hmm. There was also this orchestral piece by, um, it's, 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 it's the Voltava is the name of it. And I'm going to mess up the pronunciation of the name. It's Beatrix Smitana. I don't know if that's, if that's how you pronounce the name, but, but it's a, it's a piece uh, called the uh, Voltava and um, it's gorgeous. And it was in my head. It's kind of almost like the soundtrack of Cape May in, in my head. Cool. Um, and all I had to do is close my eyes, hear that music, think of Pretty Little Liars and Donna Tart and, and, and that summer we went to the beach and, you know, I was there, you know what I mean? Like it brought me back to um, the thrill um, and, and also certain scenes. There are certain scenes in the book that were just so, they were just cornerstone scenes for me. Like, like the, there's a scene in which Henry and Effie have just started, their inhibitions are starting to fall away and they um, have just you know, made love on a, on the back deck of their house and of their, the place they're staying in. And it's the middle of the night and they have no clothes on and they decide to walk around the neighborhood in the moonlight. It's a simple, you know, it's, it's a little thrilling scene, but it's just, there's something about that scene that like the DNA of the book is in that scene. And so, yeah, I think I could just through, through like scenes like that, through music, through um, just the, the memories of where I was when I was in the, th the, the first throes of writing this book, I think I could always access it. Those were, those are my doors into, into the feeling. I don't know if that makes any sense or if it, that's helpful. It absolutely does. I mean, I yeah. think there are, there are, I find that there are different pieces of music that I have to listen to when I'm writing at different points. And yeah. that there's different stuff that just sort of taps into it. And, and like you said, it isn't necessarily music from the time period. In fact, it frequently right. isn't. Right. So you got to the end of the draft and you knew what happened, but the sentences mm -hmm. weren't completely sorted out. How did you start yeah. to attack that? And then, or maybe attack is too strong a word. How did you start to smooth <laughs> it out um, and work with it over the next year and a half to get it to a place where you were happy? Sure. Um, uh, well, uh, it was a lot more than just the sentences that were, that was, you know, the issue. So I'll, I'll just kind of tell you just kind of briefly what my process was. Yes, um, please. Um, so I finished the first draft. I, I printed it out. It was almost, it was, I think it was actually 299 pages, manuscript pages. Um, and I printed it, I printed it out. I, and I spent, spent um, the next week or so sitting in an armchair. Well, I mean, I, I had a job, which I, the, the way I was able to write this book was I had a job that, that the hours were from one to six. So I would write in the morning. And so I had these nice, I could get up early in the morning and write all morning and then go into my, to go, go into my job. So it wasn't like this is the only thing I had to do, but I would get up each morning, sit in this armchair, have my little manuscript. And I read the, the entire thing thing through um, with a pen and marked it up in terms of just like themes, uh, little motifs that seemed to appear. In other words, I was reading to see what I had done. I wasn't sure, you know, I, I wrote it so quickly that I wasn't even sure what was there. And so I read it to sort of see what, what I had done. Then I read it again more quickly with a legal pad next to me. Um, and I made an outline based on what I'd already written. In other words, I, I created an outline, not first, but after I'd written the first draft. So I wrote the first draft and then I made an outline 
that gave me a glance that would be able to give me a glance of what I had done. And that outline was, you know, what, you know, what, what sort of happened, you know, in each chapter, um, uh, in the chapters at that point where it was kind of arbitrary. Um, but, uh, you know, and I wrote, uh, you know, I would note like little images that seemed to recur and, and, and come back, uh, things that, you know, were in, you know, sort of subconsciously were working, but, you know, I, I wasn't aware of them until I sort of read through it with, with fresh eyes uh, and was able to see, oh, my God, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, imagery here about like things transforming. There's a lot of imagery about um, tidal forces, you know, whether it's the waves or whatever um, or the moon and stuff. And by the end of that, I had a marked up manuscript and I had uh, like, say, 10 pages of legal you know, paper um, that was a working outline of the book and something that I could see. Oh, here, here's what it was. So I sat with that for about five months. And the first question that I really struggled over was what the time period was, right. um, because that is, you know, because I had here's the story, here's what it was. And then I really was like, when are we going to set this thing? And I struggled with this so much that it was almost to the point of despair. I was like, I <laughs> it could it could take place in any time. Um, in a way, the story is so it, they're off in their own little world. They're sort of like they've left they've they've left the normal world and gone to this other place where rules don't apply um, and it's sort of sealed off from reality. So in a way, it could take place in any time. But but ultimately, I um, settled on the fifties and the fifties. Um, I settled on it not by myself. I settled on it with the help of my writing group. Um, so what finally happened is after about five six months of was. I think, um, of struggling with this question, I polished up a few pages, um, representative pages to show to my writing group. And I brought it into them and, uh, asked them what, when do you, when do you think this is set? You know, when, what, what, what does it make sense? Ah, so you just said, what does it feel like? Exactly. Yes, exactly. Okay. And they, and they, the, the consensus was around the fifties. Um, this, this feels like the fifties. And we talked it through, and the reason uh, it was just the right time period that was right is because um, what happens in the story, the action of the story, if it were set much too much earlier than the 50s, it wouldn't feel plausible um, right. very much. You know, But if it were set too much later, the action would lose its charge. Like, if, if Kate May were set now, it's like, who cares? You know, like yeah, yeah it's know, like reality like, show heaven now. Plus, they yeah, wouldn't be so cut off because of technology and social media. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Right. Um, there, there's no way you could like. I mean, yeah, unless all the cell phone towers were destroyed or something. It's a post-apocalyptic landscape. There's no right. way it could be set. In the, yeah. Um, but it took it took a long time for me to realize that. Like what looks now, and it's so funny. You see you see the marketing copy on this on the book now. It's like this exploration of the mores of the '50s or whatever they say. And I'm like, that's so funny because it looks like it was totally intentional, but it wasn't at all. Like I, I kind of I had the story first, and then you know figured out what the time period should be, and then by the you know the the the, the magic of revision made it seem like that's what I had intended all along. I think it's so interesting that you were reading Donna Tartt's The Secret History. Yeah. while working on this, because one of the things that I love about that book, and I can see that happening in Kate May as well, is that I know when she was at Bennington, and obviously this book isn't supposed to be autobiographical, mm -hmm. but yeah. but there's a sense of atmosphere, I think, that one takes with you right. after you leave a small liberal arts college. And yet her book has always felt to me like it was in the 50s, even though there's absolutely no indicator of when right. it's happening. 
That's right. That's I've right. looked so for it too in that book. <laughs> I've lo- I'm like, when does she, she says anything, but she doesn't name cars. She doesn't name brands. She doesn't name clothing. She doesn't even really go into style at all, but there's right. something of the atmosphere that, mm-hmm. that came through. So I could see that translating over if you were reading it that summer. Yes. Yes. That's absolutely true. And when people would ask me what I was working on, I would say it's as if I'm working on a book that would be as if James Salter wrote the secret history. <laughs> That's how, that's how I would describe it to people. That's funny. Even though, you know, th- that ultimately doesn't really, that's not, you know, that doesn't describe Kate May at all, but on a sort of pri- like deep level, you know, there's, there's, um, it, it's true. You know, that, that was, another, that description itself is another way I was able to access the thrill of the book, um, even after, you know, e- even when I was in the trenches of revision. So what, what kinds of things you were looking at, leitmotifs, you were looking at the era. So once you got through and you decided after five months that you you mm-hmm. knew when it was set was that the next thing you went back yeah. through and worked through yeah so when i figured when i knew what time period it was i i um put the draft to to the side and opened up a new document and began rewriting it um and so i started with chapter one and so then it became um figuring out how to open open the the story um the first draft actually opens with their wedding uh in georgia and um i knew it couldn't start there so I, it, it was kind of quickly became clear to me that it had to start with their arrival at Cape May. And so it, I, I, um, you know, struggled with how to make that happen. Um, and I really, you know, I spent maybe a year, if not more on just the first three chapters, I would say, um, just struggling over those three chapters, but the, the opening, um, but in struggling with that, I was figuring out, the kind of tone when I was figuring out the point of view, I was making a decision on the point of view. I, I still wasn't sure if it should be in first and third or third, but I quickly realized it had to be in third person. Um, and I realized it had to be, you know, I've you know, figured out what the sort of the, the feel of the voice would be um, uh, all through working through those, the, the, those first three chapters. Um, and I was also, you know, the secret history, it's funny. It's, it's still, it, it really wasn't influenced mostly positive there was a there was a negative side to it though too because i i struggled for a while thinking that there wasn't enough story in the story i kept thinking that there needed to be you know in the same way that the um you know the narrator of the secret history encounters this group of people who have these secrets yeah. you know uh, and they, they have this really involved you know you know the thing going on with them in the same way i thought henry neffy they encounter these people and i thought there wasn't enough with those people like they need there needed to be more story to them and so i struggled for a while with like what's their backstory and um and and this idea that there needed to be something some secret to them you know um in in the same way that there is was in the secret history and um it took me a long time to realize that that's not what was important in the story and that wasn't necessary at all um uh that their backstory um didn't have they didn't have to they didn't have to be sort of like this byzantine you know thing going on between them that it was just you know you know it, it, the focus wasn't there um so i struggled with that and kind of figuring out where where the story was um and realizing that the you know the, the focus of the story is on it's henry and effie it's their marriage it's a story ultimately about their marriage and their relationship and uh yeah so so um uh so it was a lot of just like you know it wasn't um it wasn't intentional like I'm working and I know what I'm doing all the time. Um, I was waking up every day and thinking like, 
I'm never going to get done with this. You know, uh, I remember after about a year of this thinking like in only having two or three chapters thinking, um, and, and, you know, I, I would, I would go to five chapters and they realized they were wrong and cut those off and start again and all that. And I remember thinking like, I can't do this. Like I have, I, I lack a certain gene that allows people like, my friends can finish books, but I can't finish oh books. Oh my God, you know? if I had like, a dollar for every time, I thought that one. <laughs> I know, exactly. Um, so it wasn't, so I don't want to give the impression that I was knew what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing. But in retrospect, you know, I see that it was all very necessary work. Um, and and I finally had these good chapters that I really, really liked. And then, um, and then that's when um, Katie got pregnant. And we knew we were going to have a kid. And I finished the rest of the book in nine wow. months. You know, I, once that deadline happened, I, I will say from chat, and it was the first three chapters I had from that point on, I fin- I wrote that book in nine months. I wrote the rest of it. and it, But I think it's because I had done that work. Um, I had done the work of really knowing the voice, really knowing the characters, m- making a bunch of false starts and understanding what the book was and where, where I wanted to go. Even if I wasn't, even if I was struggling with it uh consciously and maybe if you had asked me at the time do you you know how, how do you feel about your book i'd be like uh it's, it's terrible i'm never going to finish it once once the baby was on the way and i was like i'm not going to not finish this i'm going to finish this book you know there's uh there's there's, there's no question and i just i just did it i think that's the hardest it's part. like it's like, it's like <laughs> it seems like there's this pattern that everyone goes through it's like there's an initial impulse, you get something down, then you mm-hmm. start going in to wrestle with it. And there is at a point, there's a point where it feels like this is never going to work. And that's yeah. the point when a lot of people walk away and they think, I'm not meant to do this. This exactly. is a bad idea. There's no way to fix this. And so I'm interested mm-hmm. in what kept you engaged at the point when you felt like I'm never going to finish this book. Well, you know, I, I, I think for me, it's process. Like I, I, I am not a person who is motivated by X amount of words or pages per day. Um, I'm, I'm very much into the idea of, uh, this is writing as a way of life and I'm just going, it's, it's a job and I, and I, and I put in the time each day. And so this was my project, you know? And so each morning, what was important to me is not how much I completed in a day, but that I had got to my desk at seven in the morning and was dutifully working until, until it was time to, to go to my day job, you know? And so, so I, that's what kept me going, I think on a day to day level, um, you know, was that this is, this is what I do. And, you know, and I had two failed novel attempts before this, you know, um, where I'd spent, you know, a couple of years grinding away on stories that never went anywhere until, you know, when, when I, you know, finally discovered Cape May. And so, but, but I just, but even through that all, I never just despaired really. I mean, I, I, I would just show up and do my work each day. Um, but there was something about Kate May that was that felt different, and, and I think it had to do with just the way that first draft came out of me, and the way I didn't think about it too much. I wasn't over um, intellectualizing it or whatever, over analyzing it. It just happened, uh, and I loved that first draft so much that even though I might say I I lack whatever gene it is to like finish a book, I always knew that this is good. Like I knew that if I had that gene and I could finish this book, it would be awesome. You know, like. <laughs> confident about it and that's not how I felt about previous previous novel attempts you know I, I felt um I, I really didn't know what I was doing um but there's something about how this book came into being um on a kind of I don't know like 
I don't know how to describe it. It just wasn't, I, it, I didn't, I didn't think this thing into being, I just, I kind of like, just, it was exciting. It, it felt like, I, I don't want to say cheesy things like it, it, the, it came to me, you know, or like it, I had nothing that I, because that's nonsense. Um, obviously I did it. Um, but it was just, it was just so, I just didn't, it, it, it was, it was some, I, I wrote from a place of just pure, like, excitement and interest and thrill as opposed to like let me analyze the story as a great artist let me like create this you know i don't know how to say what i'm saying but like uh it the 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 way it came into being felt different and it and and i knew it was something different and i knew that it was um something that that was going to get done in some in some somehow or another no is a good answer and i think it brings something up also that i think is important and i'm wondering because I have also ground away at novels previously for years and then set them aside mm -hmm. because it didn't feel like it was working. And I wonder yeah. now handling the current book differently because the way you're talking about the way you mm -hmm. were holding it in your mind, that you weren't overanalyzing it and you weren't trying to think about it like a great mm -hmm. artist, which I think is a great way to describe what <laughs> happens. Um, do you think that the ideas themselves weren't good or was it because you were treating them in that fashion that they couldn't happen? Yeah, I, th I think that they were, for me, I think it was because I was thinking of them as ideas. Um, I think some writers can write like that, you know, like I've, you know, and many do, many, many write from, from um, maybe, a, you know, political impetus, or um, they write because they want to convey some, some idea. Um, uh, obviously, some great writers do that, but it's not how I operate. And I think it took me a while to understand that for myself. Um the previous novel attempts had to do, you know, with ideas that I was, that I am, you know, and continue to be very interested in, um, but they weren't gaining traction because I wasn't feeling them on a character story level, you know, um, uh, I wasn't able to translate that idea to, to, to the, the visceral character level. I think with this one, with this novel, um, it felt like I remember telling people that the characters don't stand for anything. They don't mean anything. And there was something significant about that. Of course, they do mean something. Of course, they do, at the end of the day, stand for something. But when I was writing them, Henry and Effie don't represent anything. As I was writing it, they, don't, they didn't represent anything but themselves. Um, they were just Henry and Effie. Uh, this story wasn't trying to say anything other than what it was. Um, and there was something about that that was refreshing, that felt right. I didn't want to think about what they meant. And and I feel like that's, you know, after finishing the book, I could then look back and think of them as, of course, they are certain kinds of people in a certain context and time period. And I could, I could write an essay about that and talk very smartly about that and probably impressively about what I was trying to do. But it would be a lie. That's not it. I was, they were just Henry and Effie. And that allowed me to write the book, you know, it, it freed me. I think it, in a way it felt very liberating, you know? Definitely. Um, and, and I think when you don't think too hard about what you're doing in a weird way, you're able to access things that you could not have thought of directly that may surprise you. Um, it, it's, if, if you hold it, just, if you kind of hold the object a little to your, you know, to your peripheral vision, try not to stare too directly at it and proceed with instinct, um, you're going to surprise yourself. And if you surprise yourself, you're going to surprise your reader. Uh, and maybe you're going to unearth things about you, subterranean things 
that you could not, you can't consciously say this about yourself, you know, but by writing in this way where you're trying to like not look too closely at it, um, you suddenly, you, you may reveal things inside you that are, that are very raw, you know, that are very like, oh, whoa, that, yes, this feels very real, you know? Yes. Um, uh, yeah. Um, and I think I only want to write that way from now on. Um, of course. And I realize that's why I love fiction. That's what fiction can do uh, that, that I can't do with writing an expository essay. No, I think that's so important because I think that, I think that there's such importance placed on doing things, you know, quote, consciously or being aware of doing them while they're happening. And that, you know, you have to trust yourself mm -hmm. and to trust that the intention will come through underneath, even if you don't have it point by point in a little outline next to you as you're writing. Right. Right. I think I think that's just I think that trust is a huge part of it and that you have mm -hmm. to believe that it's okay to just write a story about Henry and Effie and that there is a reason for that. And the fact that you want to write that story, that there's something else going on underneath and it's okay if you don't know at the beginning. Yeah. That's, I think that's very wise. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. Trust. I like that. Of course you all don't have to name your characters, Henry yeah. and Effie for this to work. They can have other names. They can have other, yeah. There's going to be a lot of books coming out <laughs> yes, now with exactly. Henry and Effie in them. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah. I wished I'd named the character. So I, it, Henry came from a previous novel, the, one of the failed previous novels I was writing. And um, Henry is my name. Henry, you know, my, I'm Chip Cheek, but my, my legal name is Henry huh. Cheek. Um, it's, also, it's also my father's name. And in the previous book, I just, you know, I, it was set in the 20s and it's this character. And I, I was like, what should this character be named? I was, I'm just going to call him Henry because it's, you know, writing novels is hard. And this character is essentially just going to be, you know, who I might have been if I was born in this time period. And so I don't have to sort of reinvent a character from the from the ground up. Um, and then once he kind of transferred over into Cape May, um, I realized I was like, ah, crap, no, I, I really have to change this name. You know, I don't I don't want to be associated, you know, with this. But it was too late. He was just Henry. I tried on, you know, I, I tried different names, but it just it just didn't work. And so, like, you know, it's funny, like, I have to like, I feel like I would have to tell the publisher, like, right, the, the checks or tax stuff, you know, um, they'd be like chip cheek. I'd be like, oh, no, actually, it's Henry. Um, I know, it's not about but me. But it has nothing to do with the book. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to be, it's not based on anything, uh, you know. Um, it's also not based on my dad, for Christ's oh, sake. Oh, man. You know? <laughs> I know, that's always intense. Oh. I, I, that is so, uh, the naming of characters is so tricky. And mm. and you don't want yeah. a name to get sticky if if you're just using it as a placeholder. Yeah. Yeah, that's what happened, uh, though. Yeah, well, I have one I'm afraid that's happening, too. And I'm going to have to, I got to change it really? real soon because I'm afraid, I'm afraid it's getting, it's going to get stuck. Well, you know, it's okay. It's all right. If it works, it works. Yeah, so the, the problem with the sticky name thing is that I chose this name. I knew it was going to be a placeholder in the book. And then I ended up with a student with the same name. So... Mm -hmm. I just and I felt like it wasn't even the right name. And plus, this student is a completely different person than the character. Like they're not. Yeah. And then it was starting to confuse me because I was like, oh, oh am yeah. I thinking that they're the same? But they're really not the same. And so now right. it's become a distraction. I don't know. I don't uh, know what I would do if my if I came up with a character and had my dad's name. That would be <laughs> really tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's weird. Um, Henry just it's it's never been my name I've never thought of it as mine but um but it is my dad's and I but 
by the time I was into the book, it was so it was so separate from from that, you know, from from him that it didn't, you know, it it, it wasn't distracting me. Um, but I didn't want to have to explain it to other people. Um, what did he um, think? Uh, he well, he, I don't think he's read the book. Um, he, he hasn't said anything about it. You know, he's just he's just you know he's he's proud. He's a proud dad, you know, but he doesn't. He's not really a bookish kind of guy, and probably hasn't oh read God, it. Oh my god, that's uh, so great. That's yeah, so lucky. Yeah. I, I just. I know, I, I know, I know that sounds terrible, but it's just like the the liberation of being able to write something and not worry about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I, I was a little, I was a little worried, you know, before before the book came out, you know, and I kind of gave them a little little preview, saying this is, you know, this is kind of what it's about, you know. Um, it's cool. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. You know? It's a little racy. <laughs> about, yeah, you know, a little racy, a little racy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that aspect of it has been a lot less awkward than I thought it would be. You know, I mean, you know, I did my first, the first like reading I did with the book was to a, um, a bookstore pretty much entirely full of my, my wife's family relatives. Wow. Um, no pressure <laughs> at all. No pressure, you know? And so I was like, I'm going to read this like, you know, super racy book about marital infidelity to my, all my in-laws. Um, uh, it's that sounds fiction. like something cool. out of Sartre or something, you know, like, know this right. is the situation that you find yourself in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. But, um, they were totally cool. They've been super supportive. Um, although one of them did raise their hand and said, so, you know, the character's name is Henry. Your name is Henry. Is there any, should we be reading into that? I was like, no, God, we thought we've already talked about this. No, <laughs> you gotta, there's gotta have one in every audience who's going to ask that question. Right. Cause even if the yeah. character's name isn't your name, people mm-hmm. are always going to ask, is this you? Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. Right. Right. There's always that question. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I think that no is sort of the the answer I always want to give, but yeah, <laughs> but it never seems to satisfy. You know, in that situation, it's like, well, yes, of course, everybody knows right what you know, but then mm-hmm. you're putting in your own experience, but in a completely different context. So it becomes mm. an entirely new thing. I don't know. How do you handle questions like that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I do essentially just say no. I mean, this isn't, you know. Um, uh, it's it's not me at all, but but of, of course it's complicated because you create the character and the character is coming from things that you imagine, um, and you have to sort of you know use you know pull from your own experience um, in creating characters. Um, and what's more, you know this character, you know as as I've said before, was kind of you know I, I didn't want to completely create a character unlike myself from the ground up, and so I really did think of Henry as someone who you know th- this might have been who. This would have been who I would have been if I had been born in the rural, rural Georgia in, 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 in that time period. I, I think we're all we all are make mistakes and we're all, you know, um, you know, I, I'm not sort of embarrassed to, to talk about that and, and admit that, like, Henry's failings and who he is, um, uh, is, is there's, there's a big part of me in there, too. You know, um, uh, I didn't do any of these things, but um, but I could imagine doing them. Um, and that's that's different. I think that's the whole point of fiction, though, is that you admit that you can imagine doing things and then you're saying what if and then playing it out. I mean, that's exactly. the whole point is like, yeah, let's see what this would be like. And we don't exactly. have to do it at all. Yeah, it's it's. A, yeah, exactly. And it's an empathic art form. You know, it's it's the it's it's the whole the whole thing is based on empathy and based on identifying um, with another point of view. Um and uh, that's where, where its power comes from. The, the questions that ha- or the comments about 
a book that have maybe annoyed me the most are when people say that they think the characters are all unlikable. What? Um, yeah, yeah, and and I, I, the the first my first response is really like I like all the characters. I think they're all likable. Um, but secondly, it's like I, I almost want to say, well, thank God you're perfect, right? <laughs> you know, right, like, exactly. You know, I mean, who these are more or less every one of these characters, I believe, are more or less good people making bad decisions. And have you never made a bad decision? <laughs> you know, like, or in a certain circumstance, are you telling me that you wouldn't do the same? You know, um, uh, what what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, it's essentially what what this where where this book is. You know, um, and and I just I, I I it's 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 shocking to me how people don't. You see people behaving poorly and judging them and not seeing themselves in it. You know, it's 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 a it's amazing to me uh, that response. You know, that um, that hasn't been you know that hasn't. I mean, not everyone reads it that way, of course. But I've I've been shocked about the the number of people who have said I don't like any of the characters, even though I love the book. I don't like any of the characters. I'm like. You know, and also likability is the most boring way to judge a book. Anyway, I mean, I mean, yes. do, do you like Humbert Humber? Do you like Raskolnikov? You know, like, yeah, no. Do you want to hang just, out with them? Definitely not. No, no, no. But they're amazing characters. You know, I mean, why why would you judge a book or a character based on likability? Yeah, um, I think this is a thing that seems to come up more recently. Maybe mm-hmm. it's just me. Of just like, are they allowed? Are you allowed to have unlikable characters? Mm-hmm. And. I don't even really understand what unlikable is because there's plenty of, as you said, characters that I think are fantastic who I do not want in my personal life. Um, Mm -hmm. Nor would I choose to be friends with them, but I definitely want to read about them. And I guess it sort of goes down to what do you want to get out of reading? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like how far afield are you willing to go from your world and the way your world looks or the way you want it to look? Yes. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Because I think, I think for probably many people just want to be, to, to affirm who they are, you know, or affirm who they think they are and want to be, um, as opposed to read a viewpoint that is different, too different from theirs. Yeah. Or something that I think in some ways people are like, I don't like these characters. It's like, oh, maybe I would do this. I don't want to think about it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More to the point. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe I like them a little too much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think, yeah, I think that's the whole process. Is like you get to know these characters better and better as you're writing the book and as you're revising the book, and you just know what they would do, and and you have to follow yeah. through on it. You can't make it pretty or easy. Right, right. Especially yeah. not in literature, where you can you can really go for it. You can just say, yeah, this is what these people did. Well, mm-hmm, it wasn't exactly. necessarily pretty. Yep. <laughs> and then we all get to learn from it. Well. I want to thank you so, so much for for coming on again and talking more about the process of this book, which has been such a fascinating one to listen to and the way that you wrote that draft and, and got to the book at the end of it. And I love knowing about the Secret History Connection, actually. Oh, oh that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I hope this was helpful. I feel like I have I could talk all day about revision and different things that, you know, ideas I had and all that stuff. But um if you ever want to talk more about it, let me know. Oh my God, anytime, anytime. But um, uh, we'll just have to have you again. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Well, and thank you so much. I'm so, so, so great talking to you. Thank you so much for listening to the Secret Library podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. 
You can keep the conversation going by leaving a comment in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash secretlibrarypodcast. You can also connect directly with me on Twitter or Instagram where I'm Caro Donahue. That's at C-A-R-O-D-O-N-A-H-U-E. I look forward to chatting with you there. See you next week. Until then, happy writing.